What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Saturday, December 10th. I think I might have voice cracked in the intro of this. So if I did, sorry about that. But yes, today is Saturday. I said that we would probably be back on Thursday or Friday because that is kind of our normal schedule. But as we have very recently and in the past, often we got a little bit sidetracked and had to push it to today. That's okay. The only, really the only thing that's messed up uh, for our plan for today is the world cup talk because we were going to kind of preview the quarterfinals, but as of now, obviously the, the two games were played yesterday on Friday. And then uh, we have two more games today one of which is already done the Morocco and Portugal game, which Morocco won in pretty cool fashion. And then the England game we're recording at, it's currently one fifty-two right now. So the England game, England and France, probably the possibly like the most anticipated game of the quarterfinals starts here in eight minutes. So we're probably going to be watching that while we record this. But that being said, we are going to talk about NFL and college football as well. We're going to, we're actually going to be having a pretty cool college football topic. We're going to be talking about the transfer portal, which I think is pretty cool. I think a lot of people don't really know how it works. And there's also been a lot of changes to it ever since it officially became a thing, I think back in like 2018. So we're going to have that for you. And then at the end, I think we're going to have a little bit of a college basketball topic because we haven't really talked much about college basketball. It's still early in the season. People are still kind of focused on football, so we're not going to spend too much time on it. But it's just for it's just for our sake. It's just to humor us and and give us the joy of talking about college basketball again so with that being said matt how are you yes uh yeah a lot going on obviously the world cup is, is kind of dominating everyone's tv screens these days so so we definitely want to kind of talk about that how that's going as hayden said kind of quarterfinals are, are almost over uh and then and then obviously we kind of have the the final four coming up here um it's gonna be an interesting one it's one of those things that again obviously you know the four teams are left. And I don't want to spoil any, any discussions or whatever, but I think too, and, and I don't know how much this has been like, you know, super wildly reported, but the uh, they're thinking about, so obviously, so the next world cup in 2026 is actually going to be in the, in North America. I think it's actually split like among Canada, the U S and Mexico of, as to where kind of the, the, the stadiums and, and where everything's going to take place, which in and of itself is a little crazy because, I mean, I know that, you know, the host nations always they're they build all the stadiums and, and the, and the fields and everything and get it ready for, for whatever. But I think the, 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 the better part about having the host nation do, you know, have everything in, in the different cities and whatever is that it's not super far away from each other. But I'm thinking like, if a team has to play a game in Canada and then like a couple days later, they have to play a big game in Mexico. Like it's going to like the travel might be kind of weird on that. So I don't know how they're going to make it work. I've also heard that they're going to double the size of the tournament. So instead of it being 32 teams and, and four or eight groups of four, they're going to basically double it in kind of like a March madness style thing, still have the group stage. Um, but basically all the groups I think are going to be just doubled in size. And then you kind of have a bigger quarter or a bigger, bigger, well, basically around the thir- 32, then around 16, then quarter five. I mean, it's going to basically be March Madness, which is, you know, when we first started talking about the World Cup in, in, in the first place, that's what I compared it to. And, and obviously it has kind of shown through that it really is like that, especially because, you know, the favorites are losing and, and well, some, you know, some favorites are losing, some favorites are dominating. And it's kind of just all these storylines that are going around and, and you really never know who's going to win. So um, I know that was kind of just a brief, a brief little 
excerpt here from 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 me in my introductory piece but uh but yeah i think that was that was kind of interesting as of from what i've seen going around so far in terms of the future of of the fifa world cup but i think it's cool yeah yeah for sure is i didn't even know that about the increased size of the fifa world cup that would that's gonna be pretty cool i think especially well it's also gonna be in north america i think some of my friends are even already planning on like going to games like they're already planning on buying tickets which i i would like to know how much that costs because i i feel like since it's like a worldwide thing it feels like it wouldn't cost that much but then again it's the biggest sporting event in the world so and it only happens every four years so i wonder how many people are gonna like how many more people are gonna go and also how that'll affect the cost i don't know it yeah and that, that's yeah. what i'm wondering is like is the cost based on because and again i'm just going to keep comparing this to march madness because it basically it, it seems like very very similar uh if for march madness i know that you buy tickets per the weekend that you're going so each of these so like the round of the for the first round when it's all 64 teams as well as the round of 32 all happen in different locations across the country on the same weekend it's usually the the second weekend or the third weekend in march and then the next round, obviously the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, they're both on the same weekend as well. And so then so was the Final Four. So it's kind of this, you know, three week, three to four week long tournament. And each weekend is kind of two rounds worth of games. And each of those kind of groupings are in different cities across the U.S. So and so as I understand it, you have to buy tickets for that weekend. Right. So like the final four this year, I think is in Indianapolis. And it's like, you've already, if you're going to the final four, you've already bought your tickets. Um, and if your team makes it there, then you're going to have to pay a heck of a lot more to, to get them kind of on, you know, on the open market after you would have already done that. But I don't know how the world cup works. Like, is it, you just go to the host nation and then you just kind of get a ticket and you pay a bu- a big lump sum and you go to as many games you possibly can for the entirety of the tournament. Is it okay? Well, you're buying a ticket for a certain amount of time. And like, this is your kind of package with your, where you're staying and how many games that you're allowed to go to. And then especially, like I said, too, with it being spread across Canada, U S and Mexico, like if people are buying tickets to multiple weekends worth of, or multiple rounds worth of games, like, are they going to have to be expected to find their stay and, and hotel accommodations and everything in one random city in America? And then like Vancouver, Canada is the next place. And you just got to go and find more hotel. Like it, however, this ends up being getting done, which it would be interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Hayden, if you have any friends who, who, I, I guess you said that they've already gotten it or that they're thinking about doing it, like kind of what the logistics are around that, because it just seems like it, it, any any longer length period of time that you're going to be end up staying is just like an astronomical increase in cost. Yeah, actually, I do have I think I have one person or one friend that is at the World Cup right now in Qatar, which is actually really cool. But I haven't talked to him about it at all. I just saw that he I think posted something, something on Instagram. I think it was like an Instagram story that he posted. But yeah, that's pretty interesting. I don't know. I, I actually was just trying to look it up on Google how the FIFA world cup ticketing works and it just shows like where to get your ticket like what website to go to get your tickets but it doesn't say how they function i guess in terms of whether it's just a weekend that you get or if it's like a whole bundle like matt said i don't know that or individual games it might be that too that, that's kind of what it sounds like but i don't know anyway we should probably get into nfl here because that is technically our first topic we are going to talk a little bit more of fifa later on but Yes, we're going to we're going to hop into NFL right now. So the Rams are on track to be 
the worst defending Super Bowl champion in the history of the sport. And there's actually a good chance that they won't win another game for the rest of the season. We wrote this topic before the Thursday night game, which transpired on Thursday night and in which Baker Mayfield looked like Tom Brady. Um, they actually led like almost the exact same comeback. Tom Brady played against the saints on Monday night and he came back from a 16 to three deficit. I'm pretty sure and scored two touchdowns in like five minutes. Baker Mayfield essentially did the same exact thing on Thursday night, which is pretty cool. Um, but a lot of people hate on Baker for what he's been in the past, but now he's with Sean McVay and there's like this huge, there's this huge confidence going around that Sean McVay is going to be the one that's able to change Baker. But anyway, the Rams are still really bad. I mean, they're four and nine. Like they, it's not like they're going to make the playoffs. So they're out of the, I think they're, they might be completely out of the playoffs already. I don't exactly know. I think they are, but it, it, it kind of seemed before this, like the NFL was moving towards kind of like an NBA like paradigm where teams that are in win now situations basically just hedge their entire team you know, full of like stars around the league to just to win a championship that year. And this is evidenced obviously by the fact that the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. They got Von Miller, they got Odell, they got all these stars in the middle of the season through trades. And and then also the Bucks did it a couple of years ago when they got Antonio Brown and Tom Brady. And Tom Brady won a Super Bowl in his first year in Tampa Bay. So yeah, like both of those teams were back-to-back Super Bowl champions that made their teams basically in the middle of the season full of stars. But now both of these teams are super bad. They're not, they both have losing. Well, actually, I think, I think the Bucks are six yeah, and no, six they at both, this point. They both do have, oh, oh they, they, okay. So they both have losing records as of now and they're just not good. So we've actually kind of asked this question in the past. Like we, we've asked, you know, is it, is it good to build a team like this? Because it, it's obviously worked recently. Or is it good to kind of just do it the traditional way by drafting good rookies, have, you know, kind of folk, putting all your marbles into the draft, scouting guys in, in college and trying to work and trying to kind of build them up as, as players on the team over a few years? Or do we think that this NBA like style of, of just getting all these all stars on one team for a year just to win a Super Bowl? Do we think that's the best idea? I'm going to hand it over to Matt to kind of give his input on this first. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the central question is, is it better to build your team full of all-stars mid season or try to build up a team in the traditional way? I think as much as we've seen the Rams collapse this year, which would, I think lend most people to say, Oh, well, the strategy sucks because you know, okay, great. You win a super bowl and then you're horrible, you know, the next couple of years. And even with the, even with the bucks, right? Like they didn't even make it to the, to the, um, the NFC Championship last year, they lost in the division round to the Rams. So you're thinking about this, and you're like, oh yeah. And then here are the Bucks are, you know, right? Like Hayden said, kind of basically. I mean, they're still going to get in the playoffs because they're going to win their division with probably a losing record, which is pretty insane. Uh, but but they're not a good team, right? They're not going to go far in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, Tom Brady can can prove us otherwise at some point, but probably uh, that 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 is in the works of probably not happening. Either way. I, I still think that there's some merit to this fact that, you know, right. If you, if you have such a good team right now and, and you're, you're like, you know, that if you just kind of get some free agents, obviously it depends on the situation completely, right. It depends on what free agents are available. It depends on what positions you need to fill uh, in order to kind of, you know, make it worth it to trade away draft picks, trade away current players, current assets for these, you know, veteran free agents who, you know, will be able to kind of step in, 
and do and, and you know, produce and, and everything right away. Is that viable? I still think it is. I think that, you know, kind of what the Rams are showing us this year is that, well, it doesn't work if you kind of the, all the guys that you sign one year um, either get traded away to other another team or get hurt in the process. And then it kind of just ruins it all. Right. So he'd mentioned Von Miller and OBJ are kind of the two biggest offseason or midseason signings that the Rams had last year, which, you know, both of them on either side of the ball, very much propelled their sides of the ball to have success. Von Miller was extremely, uh, you know, versatile, obviously kind of being on the other side is Aaron Donald. And if you have Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the same defensive line, like good luck. And we saw it, right. The Bengals weren't able to, to complete that last drive and, and, and win it. Uh, so you kind of have that aspect, obviously with Von Miller and then OBJ obviously kind of added to the amazing season that Cooper cup already had, but the Rams didn't really have a number two receiver. OBJ stepped in that role. He took the defense where, you know, where Cooper cup didn't. And, and that was really successful for them there. Well, then what happened was there uh, OBJ tore his ACL in the Super Bowl itself. And he's still recovering. Obviously now there's, you know, you know he's going to go to the giants. Now he's going to go to the Cowboys. Who knows where OBJ is going to end up and, and don't even, okay. Just as an aside, I know that we're not talking about Odell Beckham as a topic here, but I will say, we got we to gotta forget the OBJ craziness and who's going to sign him and who's going to get him and what playoff team is going to go after him. Even if they do, he's not going to be that good. I saw a notification that was like, it, it, it might still take him a couple months, even from like today, to be able to be ready to be playing. Like, we, we got to remember, like, this guy tore his ACL. Yes, it's a year-long injury. And most guys, you know, okay, cool, you take a year and you're back next season. Well, the problem is he tore his ACL in the final possible game of the entire season, which it was the Super Bowl in early February. And if that takes a year for him to heal and become like, come back to normal like the team that he signs with would have to get to the Super Bowl for him to even be effective again. Right. So I, I get that like there's a possibility for him to be good again. And then obviously if he signs with, you know, a team like the Cowboys who already have good receivers and he won't be asked to be a number one receiver, obviously, but will he be able to be effective? Will he be really be that great in kind of helping an offense succeed that otherwise, you know, would, would, need him kind of, you know, to, to make those big plays happen and stuff. Sure. But is he going to be healthy? Probably not. So I, I don't know. That was kind of my, my thing about Odell uh, for now, either way though, I think that, right. So he got, he tore his ACL and he got hurt and obviously he couldn't play. So they kind of, you know, dropped him as a free agent there and then they traded Von Miller to the bills. Now, at that point you're thinking, okay, well, the two best signings of your midseason free agency last year for the Rams Yes, they both produced and they both helped you win a Super Bowl, and now both of them are gone. In addition to, um, I think it was Andrew Whitworth, who was their really good tackle, um, left tackle. He'd been there forever, and he retired, right? So you lost a piece on the offensive line, and then coming into this year, I don't think they've had the same five starting offensive linemen for any game this season, and that's like some sort of record for how many different starting offensive linemen they've had and just throughout the season every game. Like, these types of injuries and stuff, you know, obviously Cooper Cup's been out for more than half the season. Matthew Stafford, I think, I, I think – he might be done like, like career done. Cause he just, I think that there's been so many injuries that are, that were covered up when he was on the lines because they sucked so bad that it didn't really matter to, and then he would just keep playing and he's a really tough guy, but it's one of those things that, it, and it's like spinal cord stuff, like stuff that you, you don't want to keep playing on. So I, he might be done. I don't know. What do you think? It's it's, I think it's kind of like an Andrew Luck type situation. Cause I, I think he has neck problems as well. And that's, if you guys remember like Andrew Luck, one of the best quarter, quarterback prospects to ever play the game coming into the NFL, like he, I mean, and he was really good. He was, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he was healthy. And I would say that Matthew Stafford's probably like a top eight quarterback when he's healthy, but then 
yeah, I, I think all these injuries, I think you're right, Matt. I think he actually might be done for, for his career just because just because of where his injuries are like that neck and back stuff, especially for a quarterback, it, it, it screws up your whole throwing motion. I mean, that's all, that's basically all you use in your throwing motion aside from your legs. Like your like your if your shoulder is moving in a certain direction and your neck and your back hurt all the time, there's there's no way that you're going to be able to continue. I, th- I think you might be right. Yeah, and and obviously right. Like I said, he's played through a ton of stuff even before. Like I mean, I think he draft got drafted in what like 2007, 2008. So he's had a 15 year career already, um, and obviously got that Super Bowl last year. So in terms of everything that he's able to accomplish and did accomplish in the NFL, he's really kind of hit every mark that you wanted to. But that's, I think, kind of more, you know, support in my argument here that, you know, right, it just the the Rams completely fell apart and it wasn't it wasn't implosion within the organization. It was like, okay, the players that you signed midseason, you did, you weren't able to resign for this season. And then the, you know, kind of the the, the subsidiary players that were good on a supporting, you know, members of a supporting cast that ended up winning a Super Bowl are all hurt this year. So you can't really blame this on like, oh, well, you know, the strategy sucks now. And obviously you have to build a team through the draft and that's how you're going to be able to do it. There is an argument for that side. And that's kind of what I'll end on here is the fact that, yes, I do understand in a case where like the Eagles is a perfect example. Obviously they're kind of, you know, best record in the NFL right now, looking like the number one seed in the NFC, all this stuff, favorites to win the Super Bowl. They still have Jalen Hurts on a rookie contract. Like you have to remember this, okay? They're not paying out the wazoo for some veteran quarterback who they traded for and who has a you know multi-million dollar contract and and you know getting paid 30, 40 million dollars a year. Like Jalen Hurts is kind of getting away with fair to nothing, really, because he wasn't even drafted in the first round either. So that's the thing, right? So they're paying him nothing for all of the value that he's adding. I mean, people are talking that he might win the MVP this year, right? And I I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that that's, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that's, he is playing to that level. So they have so much extra cash. Like you can go out and get an AJ Brown. You can pay Devonte Smith as well. And then also the signings they had on defense, right? They bring, they brought back uh Dominic and Sue. And then I forgot the, the name of the other guy they signed um, defensive line, but either way, they're, they're kind of, you know, doing similarly what the Rams did last year and kind of pulling these guys who are veteran free agents. So like, Hey, if you can give them a million dollars to sign them to the team right now on an 11, one team that is favored to kind of win the Super Bowl right here, like, why not? Right. That that's, that's kind of something that you should be doing. And so I think that that, that kind of mentality of building your team from scratch, sometimes it's, you know, I think that obviously like I, like that can be a good way to, I think, you know, solidify yourselves as kind of great teams for a long time, right? So the Patriots always did this. Obviously, Tom Brady kind of took less and less money each year that they basically got better, but they, the receivers that they drafted, you know, were good receivers that they drafted. All the defensive players that they had, they drafted and, and, and they sought out this talent and they brought them up in the organization and they won a bunch of games and won a Super Bowls. And I think the Chiefs are kind of that next team here where they're taking over for the Patriots of like, as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you're kind of good, right? But there's a lot of other players on that team that are really good, that are helping them be successful every single year uh, and, and kind of, you know, help being able to reach the Super Bowl two out of the last three years. And then obviously, um, you know, last year you had the crazy kind of game loss against the Bengals and they're again, favorites to win the AFC this year, you know, second favorites to win the Super Bowl are, are the Kansas city chiefs. They've kind of built their team up from scratch and the players that they're drafting are sticking with them. They're signing them and they're building them up through the organization. But again, you know, it, 
if you win a Super Bowl with having this kind of, you know, this kind of dynasty like mentality, that's great, right? But if you win a Super Bowl just because you know that the the the, the foundation of your team is really solid, solid, and you can just grab some and use some veteran free agents who you know will be able to produce for your team, and that's how you win a Super Bowl, you hey, you guys both got to the same place, right? You you won a Super Bowl. That's really all you can say. Um, and so yes, I think the Rams obviously kind of their their extended run, much like the Bucks, are kind of experiencing like okay, well they lost in the playoffs last year. Well they still have Tom Brady, so it'll be fine. There's a lot of crap. And, and holes in the foundation, I think with the Bucks right now, and I think the Rams are kind of suffering from that too, more so on the injury front, but it's not going to be, it's not going to help anything. And I think that obviously, right, with Matthew Stafford kind of, you know, being, being kind of out of it for now, they don't even have their first round pick of next year. And guess whose pick they have, or guess who they gave their first round pick to? It was for Matthew Stafford. It was to the Lions. The Lions actually have the Rams first round pick of next year, which if the Rams continue this losing streak and finish like, you know, third or fourth worst record in the league, the lions who actually could make the playoffs was how well they're playing right now could have a, like a number two, number three pick going into next year. So the Rams are, are kind of like, this shows that, okay, well, this strategy that they did, they got a super bowl out of it. They did it. They won it. Okay, cool. But for years to come, who knows where that's really going to be. Um, so I don't know. I think it, it kind of, it, it, it's, it's a very new strategy, especially within the NFL. We're going to kind of have to see how it, kind of pans out obviously with the bucks and the rams and and whether the eagles are kind of doing the same strategy well i think kind of we'll still have to see that um but we've seen the past two years it's been effective okay so the patriots kind of fell off and the chiefs are you know they were great that one year patrick Mahomes won the mvp and they won the super bowl over you know um over the 49ers but then ever since then they've kind of gotten to gotten to where they could be the you know be the best and then it just kind of they end up losing to teams like the Bucks like the Rams who have really kind of you know just put their teams together mid-season and gotten a bunch of veteran free agents so I still think that this kind of NBA paradigm you know kind of you know get your stars and then add your pieces you know when you can I think that is a very viable strategy for a win now team who was you know kind of Super Bowl or bust uh, but I can see the argument also for kind of the dynasty like build your team from the draft and then you can be successful for a while and in a year when there's not like really any overwhelmingly great teams you you probably will have end up having the best shot which I think we're kind of seeing this year is like everybody's like oh my god Tyreek Hill left the Chiefs well look what the Chiefs are doing they're just gonna win the AFC again you know so Aiden what do you think yes well the other D lineman that you were referencing that joined the Eagles this year is Robert Quinn who unfortunately I think just got placed on IR so that's that's not very good for them and it's unlike that like I think that's a perfect example of the risk that you take when you sign guys midseason like this, because usually the guys that you're signing, especially if it's, if it's a star like Robert Quinn, or if it's guys like Von Miller and OBJ that were signed by the Rams last year, those guys are most likely going to take somewhat of a pay cut when they go to your team midseason because they know, okay, well, you know, trade deadline is coming up or free agency deadline is coming up. So I need to sign with a team or, or get traded to a team quick. So they're probably going to take somewhat of a pay cut, but at the same time, they could just get hurt, like kind of like OBJ did in the Super Bowl. Again, he helped them. He helped the Rams a lot more before the Super Bowl. But it's a guy like Robert Quinn this year who, for the Eagles, was pretty good. But, it, I mean, he only played for them for like four weeks-ish, and then he got hurt. So it's – uh yeah, it's I, – I kind of agree with Matt. It's one of those things where it's working and it has worked, but I think both strategies work drafting rookies that are good that you build up through a few years or whatever. And, and, you know, you keep their salaries cheap while they're good. And then you kind of reevaluate them after they go through their rookie contract. I think that that's still probably the best strategy for the long run. But again, it's teams that teams that know that they have 
a certain advantage over other teams in their division or other teams in their conference or the league as a whole. It's those teams that know that they're going to be good and know that they can get even better with these all-stars that they, that they sign mid season. I think it's not really that bad of a strategy. It's just one of those things where like, yeah, you win a Super Bowl, and then next season you're kind of like, okay, what do we do? And then I think Matt made also also made a really good point with the draft picks. Like the Rams are really bad, and they traded all these draft picks to the Lions for Matthew Stafford, and now they're gonna now they're essentially giving the Lions, yeah, like a top three pick for next year's draft, and the Lions are only getting better as we're seeing. So for for teams like the the Lions, you know, team, teams that are giving away their all star players to other teams for draft picks. Like we may start see more teams doing that because of the lions and Rams case this, you know, this upcoming year where the Rams gave like 16 draft picks to the lions 15 years in advance. And then now we're seeing all these lions draft picks piling up in the first round. You're like, Oh my gosh, why do the, why do the lions have five first round picks this year? Well, it's because they traded them for them. And um, the same thing is happening with the, with the Seahawks and the Broncos, like the Seahawks are, even better without Russell Wilson this year than they have been for the past couple of years. They're doing better with Geno Smith. And then the Broncos traded them a bunch of picks. I think it was like, I don't know. It was like two or three first rounders or something like that for Russell Wilson. And we're now seeing them. We're now seeing the, the Seahawks just basically frolicking in, in the fields of the, the first round picks. Um, in the NFL draft because they got all these really good picks for Russell Wilson and they're doing even better. So it's just like, yeah, I, I think in that sense, that's probably one of the biggest effects that it's had. And I'm glad that Matt brought that up. Um, you know, just, just talking about the draft picks that other teams are getting, even while they're getting better um, by trading away their stars. I think that's probably a way to look at it that a lot of people don't really realize. So um, that's, that's actually what I was, what I was going to say. So I don't really have, much else to say on this topic so yeah i guess we could just move into the next topic which is college football we're talking about the transfer portal so much has happened with regards to the transfer portal you've probably seen it in the news you've seen so much coverage but it's kind of like we want to give a little bit of breakdown okay so kind of what what was what is the transfer portal why is it there what happened before in terms of, you know, kind of players being allowed to transfer to other schools, what's happening now and kind of how is this all working? Again, obviously, now that NIL has changed a lot of uh, things in terms of the rules and, and everything, too. So obviously, the transfer portal numbers themselves are insane. It's reported that nearly a thousand players entered the transfer portal on the first day alone. Um, so, right. So break down how kind of things work. And then and then obviously we'll kind of talk about who was eligible to transfer, how many times they're able to transfer. Uh, and then we'll kind of have a general discussion about the impact of the transfer portal, not only in college football, but also college basketball, too. And and then I'm going to kind of at the end of this, I'll, I'll kind of unf- unveil the unfortunate nature of most players um, future who enter the portal and why that might be why it might not be the best choice for everyone. So I'm going to kind of start here and just kind of give. So what is the transfer portal? Obviously, we you know, it, it allows players to transfer from the organization that they're or the school institution that they're currently at to another college or university. Originally, this is probably almost seven, eight years ago at this point. You were only able to transfer if you were, well, for 
really there were kind of two ways to transfer. One was you had to go and go through this entire long process of establishing a, establishing a bunch of waivers. You'd have to get into the other school first. You have to prove that you got into another school. You'd have to get a bunch of waivers from your current school. You'd have to prove that with the NCAA. You'd have to like go to some big board meeting or whatever, got, you know, get all the signatures that you needed or whatever. And then you could transfer to another school. And this was extremely, I don't know. I mean, I think it was, it was just, it was, it was very oppressive. I think upon the college athletes who were kind of, you know, right if you need to transfer, you need to transfer, whatever it may be. Um, but it, it was, it was very limiting, extremely limiting. And the NCAA, again, the NCAA, as we've talked about all summer was, was kind of behind this. And there's no reason as to why these players should not be allowed to transfer, or at least that we can't just make an easier method for them to do so. But the NCAA, you know, obviously had kind of their rules and that, and that's really what it was. The other way that you're able to transfer. So you, you, you kind of have this one way of, you know, establishing a bunch of papers and getting everything signed and whatever. And, and that takes forever. The other way is that if you have graduated from the current university that you're at, you are allowed to transfer to another institution if you are enrolled in their graduate program. So this is the this is kind of the, the, the initiation of what we called a graduate transfer, which you probably hear a lot now, especially when in regards to I think I would say probably the, the smaller it like the not the smaller schools, but I guess kind of the the good quarterbacks who aren't at like amazing schools, but who have kind of re, reignited their career, I would say, with the school that they're at currently. Hendon Hooker is a perfect example. Um, the guy who, who played obviously played quarterback for Tennessee this past year and was amazing and kind of led them to what should have been really a college football playoff uh, birth, uh, you know, and then this upcoming, this upcoming playoff, he played the majority of his career at Virginia Tech, right? And then obviously kind of, you know, nothing really worked with the coaches there, whatever. He stuck it out as long as he could. And then, okay, so fine. So he graduated from Virginia Tech and then he got into a graduate program at Tennessee. Now he did that graduate program at Tennessee and therefore he is able to play now with Tennessee. And a lot of times, like, again, I'm, I'm, the academics here are, are kind of not obviously, obviously, since they're student athletes, not at the forefront of a lot of kind of what the graduate programs are, because the key here is that you're still allowed to transfer. You can get into the graduate school, right? But you don't have to finish it, right? So you don't have to get your degree. You don't have to finish the graduate program that you started in whatever case it may be, right? If you're in the business school, if you're in the, you know, electrical engineering school or, or, or whatever it may be. You're not required to finish that school and get your degree in that thing, but as long as you're in the program, that allows you to transfer to this other university and therefore play the sport for their for that team. However, obviously, this was very extremely limiting for a lot of players who really right you know there's certain situations that you need to transfer whether you want to go back closer to home whether you think that you're a star athlete at your position at, at your school and there's someone else who's better who's starting over you and you want a fresh chance and you can go somewhere else and and you know kind of make your life happen and we've seen so many times where transfer portal kids who go to other schools end up being really successful and it's really changed the lives of a lot of people i think the number one example and this is kind of something that everyone would really be able to understand even if you're not familiar with kind of the whole college football situation the transfer portal and everything is joe burrow like Think about it. This guy was at Ohio State, basically behind JT Barrett, and then obviously um, um, Justin Fields, who is you know now kind of in the in the NFL and doing really well. Joe Burrow was behind both of those guys, and he was like, "Dude, I know that I can do really good, and I, I know that I can do better than kind of what I'm doing right now." He was the backup, and he wasn't really going to be get a chance to be the starter. So what he did was he was like, "I'm going to enter the transfer portal," and he so he did that. He went to LSU, and he. I think he played for, I think, yeah. So the first season that he was in LSU, he wasn't even really that good. The second year obviously was the most legendary college football team of all time when they went undefeated and, and beat everyone that they played by at least 20 points and, and had 
literally it is referred to as the best college football team of all time. So that is the, that's the potential that we have here, right? Is a Joe Burrow like experience where you go from being the backup on a team that has really good quarterbacks. Okay. JT Barrett, Justin Fields are record holders as it comes to Ohio state quarterbacks. And JT, Justin Fields actually is also a transfer. So he started at Georgia and then transferred to Ohio state. Right. So you have kind of this, this whole, you know, mess of stuff going on here, but like Joe Burrow would have never even become Joe Burrow if he had not transferred to LSU and had that amazing season that he had. And obviously we see that he, he was right. Okay. All that, all that, you know, all the, the way long ago when he was a backup at, at Ohio state, you know, probably, you know, five or six years ago at this point, And he knew that he had something in him that he could actually, you know, kind of turn us into it's, it's proving true right now. I mean, he led us to the Super Bowl last year and in, in his second year in the league. So that's kind of the, the, the theory behind like why, it's we need to kind of let this happen more and and you shouldn't just limit athletes to okay you have to stay at your school and tough luck if you don't want to stay there or you know you don't because it it really is the football program or you know the athletic programs are you know paying for the kids scholarships to be at this program so if you're going to you know stay with a program then okay fine you know whatever but it's like this frees up scholarships for the school it makes it work on both ends if you want to go play for a different coach because you know him from a high school thing that's fine right but it was so limiting prior to this new expansion of obviously the transfer portal but also kind of in deals with nil and all that stuff too that it allows a lot more freedom for players who need to transfer and and really want to transfer right now obviously kind of you know there's there's kind of a negative side to this too and i'm going to go after that or i'm going to go kind of go into that a little bit more um after hayden kind of explains kind of what the current situation is with the transfer portal nil all that stuff so go ahead hayden so yeah the transfer portal became a thing and it was officially named the transfer portal in 2018 again like matt said there was ways to transfer before 2018 it was just a lot harder and the transfer, the transfer portal essentially just made it a lot easier for coaches to get in contact with players. So what it is, is it's kind of just like an online, it, it's almost, it's kind of weird, but it's, it's, it's almost like a Reddit type thing or like a Twitter type thing where you kind of just go on this online, like database website thing and you enter your name and you enter your information and in, where you go to school, what your name is, contact information, everything like that. And then, any coach from any other school can reach out to you and essentially just try to get you to come to their school. And there, so you can imagine there's a lot of communication that are, that's involved in this. And um, it's, it's probably a lot on, not probably, it definitely is a lot on both the players and the coaches. I in fact do work in the recruiting office um, at UVA football. And I can tell you right now, well, I'm home right now and I went home for the semester, but I still am doing some stuff kind of on and off here uh, between my between my exams that I have in the upcoming days. Um, but I, I have been doing some work here at home for UVA football. And let me tell you, like transfer portal season is crazy. It's I didn't know how crazy it was until I was started working in the office, which I imagine a lot of you listening probably can't really wrap your head around it because it is a little bit hard, hard to understand. But yeah, essentially, like we are just constantly looking for transfer guys that are in the transfer portal. We'll, you, you know, we're looking at their film. We're kind of trying to evaluate whether they, whether we want them to come to our school because the recruiting period for the transfer portal is, is super short. It's actually, there's a 45 day period that's happening right now. So I think it opened on December 5th officially, and then it's going to go until January 18th. So it goes through Christmas and New Year's, and then a, a couple of weeks after New Year's, it's going to close. And so after it closes on January 18th, you can't get in contact with 
you don't have access to everybody's contact information. You don't have access to the portal, which is where you can just kind of, it's kind of just free reign for players and coaches to contact anybody they want. After that, after it closes, after that 45 day period, you kind of have the guys that, that you're in. I don't know if, if the guys have to commit to the school within that 45 day period, that part, I don't really know about the stuff that I was reading was, uh, was a little bit confusing, but I do know that there's a 45 day period right now where it's open communication between players and coaches. And then there's another 15 day period in May from May 1st to May 15th, which is also, it's the same thing that's going on right now. It's just, I guess to maybe finalize everybody's rosters, that's, that's essentially what's happening there, I assume. But, um, but yeah, it's like talking from experience, working in the office, it is just, it's absolutely crazy because it's not like high school recruiting where you go out and you look at guys and you're kind of recruiting them over a couple of years. You know, if they're, if, if you first see them when they're a sophomore in high school, you kind of keep your eye on them until they're a senior. And then maybe when they're a senior, you decide, okay, well, we're going to offer this guy because he's shown us that he is consistent and, you know, can play well over, over a few years. And so we're going to offer this guy in his senior year, but you've had your eye on him for two years in this, in this case, like you're going out and you're looking at guys film from ball state and you got to decide in like, 20 days, whether or not you want to offer him. And it's, it's, it's such a short period of time compared to recruiting a high school guy who you can recruit over a, a couple of years. So that's kind of an idea of like how crazy the transfer portal is, especially like, like Matt said, now that a, a thousand guys entered the transfer portal on the first day, that's crazy throughout the whole transfer portal period. There will be a lot of, a lot of new guys coming in. And as basically what is happening is like people are getting confused because there have been a lot of names that have been kind of in the transfer portal before the transfer portal even opened. And that's technically against the rules, except I think if you're a grad transfer, that's kind of, this is also kind of like going back to what Matt was saying about the whole grad program thing. Grad transfers are still given priority and they can declare for the transfer portal earlier than everybody else. If they, if they are basically done with their undergraduate, program at one school and they want to transfer to another school that's how they're still given priority so that's that's kind of cool that they still that they still do that and they still got, give priority to those grad transfers the other exception to essentially putting your name in the transfer transfer portal before it actually opens is if your head coach gets fired then you have 30 day you, you have like a 30 day period after your head coach gets fired to to basically declare that you're going to enter the transfer portal. That's the only other, other exception. So it's grad transfer. And then if your head coach of your team gets fired, you can also declare just because that makes it fair for them because the player, a lot of players have been, you know, recruited by a coach to come to their school. And then within a year or two, their coach just leaves on them and leaves them in the dust with some random dude that's going to come in and try to coach them up. Obviously that, that kind of incentivizes guys to enter the transfer portal and, go to another school or go to the school that their former coach is now going to. So, yeah. Um, the last thing I'm going to say here is that schools have a minimum amount. I mean, a maximum amount of scholarships that they can give out to guys. So, so high schoolers and transfers, it's a maximum of 85 total scholarships, athletic or athletic scholarships. This, and this is just football. I don't think this, this is obviously not basketball either because basketball teams are a lot, a lot smaller, but, um, yeah, just in terms of football, every school has a maximum of 85 scholarships they can, they can they can give out to players if they have that kind of money. 
Um, but schools are no longer limited to only bringing in a maximum of um, 25 scholarship transfers per year. So they were, I think before, I think it was like 2021, this was made or 2022, maybe this is a change this year. I don't know, but essentially before, even when the transfer portal was a thing, uh, schools could only bring in 25 transfer scholarship students. So they could only bring in a max a maximum of, tra- of 25 guys from other schools that are transferring on scholarship. Now you have, you can bring in like 45 transfer guys on scholarship, but then you only have 40 more scholarships to give to high school students coming out of high school for that year. So there's more leniency with that, but again, you don't really want to fill up your team with transfers because it, that might not be the best idea for your program in the long run. So that's a big spiel about the technicalities of the transfer portal. I think I kind of touched on everything that, people may be confused about. And so now Matt can get into his talk about whatever he's going to talk about. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of short. It's basically a lot of, so as, as much as there are the the great stories that I talked about before, obviously Hennon Hooker, uh, guys like Joe Burrows, Justin Fields, that type of stuff. The majority of players who enter their names into the transfer portal don't end up having success. And, and, and a lot of them actually go end up having to go down to the FCS level. Um, a lot of why, so we saw obviously Deion Sanders, you know, he was coaching at Jackson state. He's now coaching at Colorado, but he built up Jackson state and he built that program very quickly. And and, and now if they went 12 and 0 this season, they're, you know, they're, they're head and shoulders above everybody else. But if you look at their roster, it's comprised mostly of transfer students from FBS schools who essentially weren't good enough or weren't picked up by uh, players or, or teams, sorry, universities, teams, college football programs uh, in the FBS level. And so they had to go down to the FBS or FCS level. And to some, to some people, hey, you know, that, that's totally fine. I just want to play football. I love the game. I want to play. I don't want to sit on a bench and, and wait my turn and whatever. But for most of these guys, like if you're playing college football, you have to be dreaming about the NFL, right? And so if that's the case, going down to the FCS level is not going to make your dreams come come true by any sense of the the word. So I think that's kind of the other unfortunate truth in this is that Yes, you have the great stories of, you know, all these kids who are who are really good at one school, they'll transfer to another school and they'll get, you know, amazing NIL deals and all this stuff. And they'll be, you know, these de- these decorated recruits and they'll have amazing seasons at the school they end up going to. They get drafted, all this stuff. Cool. But the other side of this coin is that a lot of the players who enter their name, their name in the transfer portal, because you got to think about it. OK, this is, is essentially like it's even harder to, because you're going at this from you being a player, right? So in high school and you're a really good high school player, okay, you get recruited by multiple universities and you get to choose from what university that you want to go to, which makes it a lot easier because you're like, all right, well, cool. I can go to all these places. I'll go to one place. And you know, at some point I'll be playing in the football games, right? Well, if you enter name in the transfer portal, you have to, as Hayden said, you are at the mercy of whatever coaches and players are out there and player personnel development players and people are at these universities hoping that someone gets a, gets word of you and is going to you know want to give you the scholarship. But if not, in that 45-day window, you're kind of screwed. And at that point, you do have to go down to the FCS level and be able to kind of find somewhere to go there. So it's a big risk by a lot of these players who are in the transfer portal. I think that it's, and again, I'm not in the world and Hayden obviously even knows a little bit more than I just by being in the office of a university, you know, with a big time football program. But I'm thinking like from a player's perspective, you're thinking, oh, great, man, I get to transfer because I didn't want to play here really, or the coach left or whatever. And, you know, I, I want to play a different position. They're not going to have me play this position or I want to be the first string. I'm really the second string right now, whatever it may be. 
they're thinking of it as a great opportunity to be able to transfer here. But you got to think too, whatever school that you may want to go to and transfer to, they also have, you know, basically owe the guys that they offered scholarships to right out of high school who are they're building up through the program they're bringing they're playing them as their backups right now in games that they're winning by a lot you know what i'm saying so like there's a lot of opportunities too for players who stick with their team to eventually play for that team and so as a transfer you kind of have to prove your worth right away or you're going to be stuck out further down the depth chart than you would have even you know kind of wanted in the first place or that you were at the previous school that you were at so i think that's kind of the other side of this that i think has to be mentioned here too is like yes there are success stories but i think for the vast majority of players who are entering their names in the transfer portal ends up kind of not really being as i think successful of a move as most people think and and so i'm just kind of hoping that this all kind of gets figured out and that those players who who wouldn't have otherwise gotten a chance do kind of get their names looked at and and kind of are you know are able to to really reignite their careers uh, at another place so the second college football topic that we have here today is going to be kind of a kind of a shorter one um but it's about the Heisman which actually does get announced tonight so it, by the time this podcast comes out it'll probably be like right before the Heisman announcement and at that point you probably won't listen to it right beforehand but the general the general picture here is that obviously we pretty much know who's going to win okay so the Heisman finalist it's actually all quarterbacks uh it's four of them uh for the first time in I think five years uh that it's all quarterbacks and it's obviously Caleb Williams from USC CJ Stroud from Ohio State Max Duggan from TCU and Stetson Bennett from Georgia we haven't really seen someone stand out extremely well like sometimes we do right sometimes you just know Lamar Jackson won the Heisman you know the entire season he was going to win the Heisman Similar, obviously, right. Joe Burrow, like in his year with LSU, like he's the best player on the best team there. That was the best team of all time. He's going to win the Heisman, right? This year, it was kind of like, okay, going in Bryce Young and CJ Stroud were the Heisman finalists or the Heisman favorites going into the season. Obviously, Alabama didn't have that great of a regular season and Bryce Young despite playing well when he did, didn't have the supporting cast around him to be able to really take him over that edge. And obviously he won the Heisman last year too. So I don't think, you know, they, they if, if there was another option, they wouldn't have wanted to give it to Bryce Young twice in a row. CJ Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio State, kind of the same deal they played a bunch of easy teams he had some great stats but in the games that mattered well really the one game that mattered against Michigan he didn't play well at all uh and so that kind of that kind of knocked him off the off the pike uh Max Duggan's been playing extremely well all season but he plays for TCU yes they had an undefeated regular season but they won a bunch of close games and he wasn't extremely dominant in every single game that he played he was also helped out a lot by their running back his guy named Kendra Miller uh and then obviously the DC the defense for TCU was really good too the, so now you're left with Caleb, Caleb Williams who was the entire team for USC if you watched any of USC's games he was the entire reason that they were winning anything and and it just when he wasn't there they were horrible when he was there they were scoring 40 points a game Game and their defense was hor- this their, the USC defense was actually so bad this year and the fact that they were still 10 and 2 in the no 10 11 and 1 in the regular season 11 and 2 overall after losing both their games uh obviously to Utah that's crazy like you think about how bad this defense was and this they the fact that they still beat every game on their schedule obviously besides Utah so and Caleb Williams is the 100% reason for this and we saw the perfect example of why Caleb Williams should and is going to win the Heisman uh tonight in that Utah game, in the Pac-12 championship last Friday, Caleb Williams had that, he had like a 59-yard 50, run, I think, in the first quarter, the first drive, I think it was, and he pulled his hamstring right on that run. He was never the same since then. They didn't score, they, they barely scored, I think they scored seven more points for the rest of the game after that happened. He was completely taken out of the game. His leg, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't move. He wasn't mobile and his throws weren't as strong because he wasn't able to use both of his legs for the full strength cap, cap, uh, capacity there. 
you saw how badly this Utah team, or sorry, this USC team lost to this Utah team in that game. And it was solely because Caleb Williams was not 100%. Um, this guy was the reason that USC what it was what it was this whole season. Uh, and so he's very deserving of winning the Heisman Trophy. I just think that it's a little bit underwhelming this year because we didn't really have someone who was like 100%. He was going to do it the entire time. But I do think that if anyone, it, it does deserve to go to Caleb Williams, who was the best player. He, it's not the best team. They're not going to get into the college football playoff. But I like that we're going we're gonna to do this. I like that we're giving it to a player who is deserving, who's not on the best teams. Stetson Bennett should not even be here. Okay. He's great. He's been better. He's improved a lot as a quarterback, but any, I could play quarterback for Georgia and probably win the high or win the national championship this year. I mean, it is, it is amazing how talented that team is. So for, for a team like USC where their defense was horrible and yes, they had good weapons, right? They had obviously Travis died with their running back for a lot of the year. They have Jordan Addison and Mario Williams as their receivers. So they have a really good team around them, but you saw it when you, when Caleb Williams was hurt, this team wasn't able to do anything. And that proves that for the rest of the regular season, that's, he was the team and he was what made that offense so great. And it was a great offense this year. So uh, very deserving there for Caleb Williams. I'm going to just go quickly here on the snub of the year, which is Hendon Hooker. I know that he got hurt and I know that he didn't play in their last game and whatever. And the, and it kind of fell off and they didn't get to the college football playoff, but seriously, can we not even, can, can he not because he needs to be a finalist again, similar to Caleb Williams in USC. Hendon Hooker is the reason that this Tennessee program was where it was. If they had beaten South Carolina, they'd be in the playoffs, college football playoff right now. And yes, he tore his ACL. And so they might've taken him out because it, you know, obviously like, I think that's that, that proves it right. If Tennessee had made it to the college football playoff or had been able to make it, but not like Hendon Hooker wouldn't be able to play. I think they probably would have taken Tennessee out or at least kind of, you know, made it work so that they weren't matched up against the hot because he was the whole team. So I think that Hendon Hooker really kind of got screwed here because he should at least be nominated for the award. I, I still think that Caleb Williams did more and was deserving of it, but Hendon Hooker kind of sucks for him because I think he really, he, he really embodied what a Heisman trophy at least finalist should be. Um, and really, and it isn't going to end up being there. So um, Hayden, what do you got? It? Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> you said it like literally everything I was going to say. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the same thing, I don't really want to repeat what you said, but I guess just to kind of give my input is, yeah, I, I think that the biggest snub is is definitely Hendon Hooker not getting in. He should have gotten in instead of Stetson Bennett. Like Matt said, Stetson Bennett is not a Heisman worthy player. He's a good player. He's obviously, uh, he, he won a championship with Georgia last year. He's, going to do it again this year and that's going to be two champ two national championships under his belt but he's the Heisman is more like an MVP type player and he's not it's George's the rest of George, George's defense is their MVP it's not Stetson Bennett so um yeah that's I agree with Matt there and agree with Caleb Williams as well the whole Caleb Williams situation I think that he's by far the most valuable to his team Hendon Hooker was kind of a similar situation where he didn't have a good defense either. Like the the Tennessee didn't have a, a great defense at all by any means, but they were still able to win over Alabama. They were still able to, you know, to go. I think they were also 10 and two. So, um, you know, they, they were able to have a really great season because of Hendon Hooker and because of his just absolute dominant performance, especially across like the first eight games. He was just crazy. I think he had like one or two interceptions through the first eight games, which is nuts. So, uh, yeah, so I, I totally agree with everything that Matt said. Moving on to the World Cup talk. So last episode, we 
we're going through the round of 16 and, and, and kind of like giving our reactions to who moved on to the quarterfinals. And, and we actually had Mitchell on for that episode. And, um, and we talked a lot about kind of the technicalities of what was happening, you know, whether it was like why so many upsets were happening, whether it was just kind of like the idea of players not playing with their international teams for or pr- not practicing with their international teams for a long time before the world cup. It's kind of like, it was kind of like a short notice type thing where the, a, a lot of like club seasons were kind of in the middle of their season. And then they had to kind of abandon that their club teams and then go to the international teams, everything like that. So we gave a lot of talk about the technicalities of the world cup and why we're seeing more upsets this year than usual. I think now we're at a point where we have, Argentina facing off against Croatia in the semifinals on the left side of the bracket and on the right side of the bracket. Right now we have Morocco who moved on to the semifinals today, this morning with a win over Portugal. And then we have England and France playing right now. I actually don't have the score pop, uh, pulled up right now. I, I think it's France, France is up one, nothing. They scored in like the 16th minute. So, and I don't think as much as England has been great. I don't, if, if they're already down, I don't know if they'll be able to come back and win. Yeah, do you know who scored, Matt? Was it Mbappe? Yeah, uh, no, it was a guy named Tuameni. Okay, I don't know. Well, it wasn't Mbappe, so there you go. But, but yeah, so essentially, so assuming, I guess, assuming here that France, I, well, I actually I don't want to say anything because this episode is going to be out after the game ends, and if England comes back, then I'm going to look like a fool. So we're just going to say here that okay, France or England is moving on to the semifinals. One of them, I, <laughs> I don't know. I want to say that like. Morocco is one of those teams where at this point you're, I don't think you're going to bet against them. I think you can bet against Croatia though. That's the thing. Croatia, they're a good team. I don't think they should have won that game over Brazil. Like I, I really don't think that they should have. I think Brazil does fully deserve that win. I feel really bad for Neymar. Neymar's like, he's always such a class act. Uh, If you guys haven't seen videos of him after the game, there's actually a video of, one of Croatia's players sons who went onto the field after the game and basically just like went over to hug Neymar and Neymar gave him a hug back, a hug back. And he was like smiling and everything given the fact that he had just lost and been knocked out of the world cup in the quarterfinals. Like he was, I don't know that Neymar's a great guy. He's also one of the best players in the world. So it sucks to see a guy like that go Brazil, as we were talking about on, on the last episode, they were the absolute powerhouse of the World Cup this year, and they are all of a sudden out. And, and it, it's because of penalty kicks, essentially, is, is why they're is why they're knocked out. Both games yesterday actually went into penalty kicks, and some people have a bone to pick with penalty kicks. Okay. I I tend to be kind of in the middle, but there's two arguments to it. It's like the one argument is that penalty kicks are stupid and that they should never really be a part of the game. Obviously, it's a way to end the game earlier than it would if it just was like 500 minutes of extra time. If you go into penalty kicks, the game goes for about three hours. And so that's a long time to play for, for any game, especially soccer when you're basically constantly running. But is it, does it suck to lose in penalty kicks? Yeah, because it's so random. Given Compared to the 120 minutes of actual soccer that's played, of, of actual strategy that's given to the game beforehand. There's not much strategy in penalty kicks. It's one-on-one. Soccer is a, a very much a team sport played when, it, when it's played during actual playing time. But then you get the penalty kicks and it's one-on-one. It's basically just a game of like intimidation by the goalie and whether the goalie can get into the, in, into the shooter's head. 
And then, you know, sometimes the goalie get lucky and, and the shooter misses, whatever. So it's like you can have a team that's good at taking penalty kicks, but it's it's still so random to compared to the actual game of soccer that's played beforehand for 120 minutes. So that I can understand that, that argument. But at the same time, you can you can also make the, make the argument like, OK, well, if if a team makes it to penalty kicks, like if a team like Croatia takes it the distance scores with, I don't know. I think it was like three minutes left in extra, extra time. If they score an equalizer with three minutes left in the game or three minutes left in extra time, then that's the, the other, the opposing team's fault. The, the opposing team that was supposed to win, that's their fault for kind of letting that happen and not scoring more goals before. I, I don't know. There, there's like, there's two arguments to it. I'm kind of in the middle of both. I think it is a little bit too random, but you also can't make, these guys play for more than 120 minutes. Like it, it's, it's crazy. They only have a certain amount of subs too. I think there's only five subs in that you can do in regular time in like the first 90 minutes. And I think that you only have one sub in extra time as well. And the extra time is another 30 minutes. So you've got guys out there that are playing 120 minutes, not really the, the, the midfielders who are running the most, like the midfielders are usually the, the first guys to be subbed out because they're running the most. Cause they had essentially had to play defense and offense. But right, like you, I don't know. I, I think that Croatia winning in penalties was, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing to see, but they absolutely dominated. And that's part of the game. Like that's, it's kind of like field goals for, uh, for football. Like a lot of people think that kickers are really like unimportant, but I I mean, I think a kicker is really important because kickers win the game like a lot of times, at, you know, at the end of game and in like crucial situations. And so maybe more teams will practice their penalties based on what's happened in the world cup so far. I don't know. We'll have to see, but it, it does, it does kind of suck to see the, the Brazilians go down in, in penalties. And then obviously um, in the Argentina and Netherlands game, that was also a crazy game. It went into over, it went into extra time because I think Netherlands scored like twice in the last 15 minutes or something like that. They were down 2 zero um, when Messi hit a penalty kick um, in game in like the 64th minute. And then I think Netherlands came, um, came back to score twice in the last 15 minutes or so. And then it went into, extra time nobody scored and then it went into penalties in which Argentina was able to pull it out four to two in penalties just like Croatia was able to pull it out four to two in penalties over Brazil so that's just a little bit of a of an overview of what happened in the quarterfinals again it, it's cool to see these teams like Croatia and Morocco in in the semifinals I think it's awesome Croatia if you guys didn't listen to our last podcast and you don't know what happened four years ago Croatia made it to the final four years ago and they're in the semifinals again this year and nobody ever talks about them being a powerhouse. Nobody ever talks about them in the conversations of like the England's and the France's and the Brazil's and Argentina's of the world. Nobody ever talks about Croatia, but this is the second time uh, in a row that they've been to at least the semifinals. So I guess Croatia is going to have to be in talk in talks of, uh, of, of the great countries. And, and, you know, by the time next world cup comes up, but that's about all I have to say about the World Cup. Uh, again, I don't want to kind of like I don't want to talk about the France and England matchup because we don't know who's moving on from that part of the bracket yet. So I'm just going to hand it back over to Matt to see what he thinks. No, I mean, I agree. I think that kind of going back to the penalty kick type of thing, you would love to see the games decided as the game is normally played, which is 11 on 11. You're playing on a pitch and you're scoring goals based on how good the defense versus the offense is. 
but yeah, as Hayden said, like that's unfortunately you can't just be out there for three hours because that lends an unfair advantage to another team who may have won their game. And then you could say, oh, well, that team won the game in regular time. So they deserve to have the extra rest. Yeah. But as we've seen, you can't predict the nature of what these games are going to be right. Brazil should have crushed uh, Croatia and it didn't end up happening. It was zero, zero going after 90 minutes. All right. So then a lot of people expected Brazil to, to, to at least score one goal in, you know, in a 90 minute period. So I agree. And I think too, it's, it's like something that you have to keep in mind as a strategic portion of the game. When you get to these types of tournaments and, and tables and whatever that are extra time and penalty kick based is the fact that, and especially in a world cup, like there's just so much different strategy that goes on. And so you're going to be playing against teams that want to back up. They're going to park the bus as they say, uh, and, and, and stay back and play defense. And so there's not going to be a bunch of high scoring games. And if that's the case, you're going to, you might end up in extra time. And if that's the case, you might end up in, in, uh, in PKs. So I think that, right. It, it just, you, you have to, you have to include it as a part of the strategy of the game. And we saw in the Spain versus Morocco game, like Spain didn't hit a single penalty kick, right? They, they missed all of them. So it's like, because they didn't have really good penalty kick players and so it's like you 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 can build your strategy build your team around that uh because you who knows when you're you know when you're you're kind of going to be in a dogfight here against a bunch of teams who may may just be better at pks than you so i do like the argument that hayden made there last topic that we have for the day uh last sport is college basketball we don't talk about it too much this time of year i think but you know obviously it's it's going on right now we have march coming up in a, in a couple months here and the, and the regular season is kind of going to start most teams have played about eight to ten games uh, so far so they're about a, th- a third of the way through the season and the coolest part about this college basketball season which is i think just better than better than most is that no team has stinked has stayed ranked <laughs> no team has stinked <laughs> <laughs> no team has stayed ranked uh, as the number one team in the country for more than one week so far. And besides, I think Houston, nobody stayed within the top five for more than one week as well. So obviously this is there's a ton of parody in college basketball. I think it's great for the sport. And while, yes, this parody will undoubtedly lead to a better March Madness in terms of just more randomness, more you literally don't know who's going to win. The question becomes, is it better or worse for the usually slept on regular season of college basketball, which obviously, right we're talking about it now. Most people aren't right. And most people aren't even watching these games. It's a set. It, this is the today, December 10th is the first Saturday without college football since late August. All right. Tell me how many people who were normally watching college football on every Saturday being like, I can't wait for these games. I'm going to plan my entire day around watching college fo- football is now doing the same thing for college basketball or even having the TV on and watching a college basketball game kind of just even in the background, probably not that many people. Right. So, the regular season is always slept on for college basketball. And it's also kind of at a bad time because right. It starts at the end of the college football season. It starts in the middle of the, of the NFL season and it gets really good at a time in March when no, no other sports are going on. And so as a result, everybody kind of gets in it for March, which is the best part about it. And to some extent, the regular season, I'm not gonna say it doesn't matter, but the conference tournaments, because that's decides who gets into the, the March Madness bracket. That's kind of the biggest week of college basketball anyway. And that's near the end of March too. So, or beginning of March, end of February, whatever it may be. So the question Hayden is with all this parody going on in the regular season so far, and probably more to come, 
is it better or worse for the regular season that we're seeing so many number one teams fall that we don't have a dominant team that, you know, everybody's trying to get to and, and beat as, or dominant couple teams, I guess, that everybody's going to try to get to and beat. And, and that's kind of the, the nemesis. And, oh, you know, then the story becomes, well, they go into March Madness and, and will anybody be, be able to beat them there? Uh, is it better or worse for the regular season? Hayden, what do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think at least for the regular season, it is because, well, I think I think it's actually no. I'm going to reverse that. It's better for the tournament. I think for the regular season, it's not because for the general public, I think the general public likes to see when they see the rankings, like when they see a little blurb of, you know, like a little, I don't know, advertisement is kind of a weird way to put it, but like some kind of little blurb of the college basketball rankings currently, if somebody doesn't see the same team up there, like Matt said, if, if somebody sees like two different teams up there, two different weeks, they're not really going to pay attention to it. They're not going to look at it and be like, Oh, Kentucky's been up there, been in the rankings for five straight weeks. Every time I've seen them, let me go watch one of their games. It's like a perfect example is, uh, is, is UVA is going to play Houston. And I'm kind of UVA bias, obvious. I'm not kind of UVA. I'm very UVA bias uh, because I go there and well, Matt also is because he is, that's his alma mater, or I don't even know if you can call your college, your alma mater, but anyway, we both went there. And so currently they're number three. They're actually undefeated on the season. They haven't lost. And I think that when Matt said that Houston was the only team that's been in the top five for multiple weeks, I think that UVA has also been in the top five for multiple. I'm not quite sure though. I you'll have to check me on that, but, uh, but yeah, essentially like UVA has been up there in the rankings pretty much the whole season. Uh, I think they were ranked number four before, and then now we're ranked number three and actually Texas lost. We played JMU on December 6th, which I went to that game. I went to that JMU game, which is pretty cool. We only won by five, but uh, it was kind of a nail butter, but we still pulled it out and remain undefeated. Texas, on the other hand, who was also undefeated, they lost and they were number two. So we're actually probably going to go up to number two in these next rankings, which come out. I don't know. Do they come out Tuesday? Maybe uh, I yeah, think I every th- Monday I, at the beginning of every week. Oh, uh, Monday. Okay. So, yeah. So they come out Monday. We'll be at um, we'll be at number two, assuming I don't think we have a game until until then. And so, yeah, but we play we play Houston on December 17th, which that'll be probably a one versus two matchup, assuming neither team loses until then. That'll be, probably be the biggest game of the year so far in terms of like just rankings go two teams matching up at one and two. That's that's a pretty, pretty big matchup, if you ask me. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where like you were looking at the schedule before. If you if you're looking at both team schedules but before the season started, you're looking at the Houston and UVA game and you're saying, okay, that's like both teams are pretty good. Houston was actually ranked higher than we were at the beginning of the season. I'm pretty sure they were. I think they were ranked in the top ten before the season, and we were ranked like maybe twelve or something like that. And you were looking at this before the season. You're like, okay, yeah, that's a pretty good matchup. Both teams will probably have one loss by then. Both teams are undefeated, and so. I think that that's pretty cool. But again, like the, the general public of college basketball fans who, like Matt said, they're probably not turning on college basketball today because they probably don't even really know that today's a Saturday's like the biggest day in college in college basketball, just like it is in college football. They don't really know that. But that's the kind of thing that like as a college basketball fan, I think that we look at it and we're like, OK, yeah, this parody is great. But for the general public, until March comes around, I don't know if it's that great. I think that people probably want to see a really dominant team like Kentucky or Duke or UNC or one of the blue bloods bloods. They want to see those teams in the regular season. And then they want to see them lose in March. They don't, they don't want to see them succeed in March. 
they want to see them lose in March because that because everybody watches the tournament. But I think for the general public, it, the parody is probably not as good for the regular season and better for March. But that's just my opinion. It is now time for Matt's betting locks of the week. If you stayed this long in the show, we definitely do appreciate it. And you're going to make some money because of it this week. I, well, I, I'm not even going to. I've been I I owe an apology to everyone on board. Okay, I have been bad about giving out my locks of the week. We've also been bad about doing later shows in the week. I'm living between three different houses right now and trying to figure out where I'm going to be. Come April, basically right after March Madness, I will be living in one place and have a good set schedule on where I'm going to be uh, pretty much every day. So that will be kind of our our I guess our our target date for getting back on track with two regular episodes and having really everything dedicated uh, twice a week. But hey. Here's some betting knowledge for you if you didn't otherwise need it. I'm going to go Cincinnati minus six over Cleveland this week. We realized that last time these two teams played, Cleveland absolutely destroyed Cincinnati in that Monday night game on Halloween. If you do remember, it was a little spooky season for that one. Uh, Cincinnati was favored by three. I laid the crap out of those three with Cincinnati, and I got my butt kicked in on that game because I think that uh, I think Cleveland won that game by like 30 points. His revenge spot for Joe Burrow, he's coming back. He's at home. It's it's against Cleveland, who now, as we saw against the Texans last week, did not score a single offensive touchdown, and they still won the game by, like, 14 points because their defense scored, like, three touchdowns, and, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, Deshaun Watson is not good because he hasn't played in two years, so he's not going to be good. Uh, Joe Burrow is coming off an emotional win against Kansas City, I will say that, but he's a dog, all right? He wants this game. He wants to win. So Cincinnati minus six over Cleveland is my first one. And then Jacksonville. I'm taking Jacksonville plus three and a half against Tennessee. The Titans are, I don't, it's just, it's tough to kind of, when they're expected to do well or people like them as an underdog or they're, you know, they're heavily favored. They don't tend to do well. And so, and that's exactly kind of what they're at in this game is they're, they're favored. They're expected to win. The Jaguars aren't that great. And they're coming into Tennessee, and it's oh, Derek Henry's going to run over all the run over all run all over this offense. But you got to also think like, or the, sorry, Derek Henry's going to run all over the defense. I don't know why it took me eight chances to to, to get that out there. Ryan Tannehill is still dealing with his ankle injury. He's not a hundred percent. If he goes down again, it could be Malik Willis in there. Who knows what's going to happen at that point? Trevor Lawrence, yes, he got dinged up against the against the Lions, but he was out for like a couple plays, and then he came back in and he looked fine. Uh, and they got crushed by the Lions last week too, so they're going to be up and ready for this game. The the Titans, I don't know, they got crushed by the Eagles last week. I think that they're. Their true colors are kind of showing out. And again, they're going to win this division, the AFC South, because no other team is going to be good enough to beat them. But I think the Jags can stick around in this one. Again, you got the plus three and a half on your side. So if, even if they lose by last second field goal, it doesn't really matter. You still win the bet. I do think that could be worth it. Uh, maybe even put some on the Jaguars money line because they think they could steal this game when nobody else is looking out for it. So those are my two best. Those are my two lock bets of the week. It is Cincinnati minus six against the Browns. And it is the Jacksonville Jaguars plus three and a half against the Tennessee Titans. Those are your two best locks of yeah. I was I, I was thinking week. I was like, do I normally call it best bets or do I call it locks of and I so I combined them so best locks of the week. How about that? Yeah, there we go. All right, well there you go. Um, that's uh, that's gonna round out the episode there again. If you stayed until Matt's betting locks, hopefully you're rewarded this time because. <laughs> It's it's been a pretty yeah, bad, pretty bad year. Great. So, so in addition to not getting out the Thursday episodes, I also have been really bad on my locks record this yeah. this year. And last year was good. This year falling behind, behind a little bit, but we're getting back on track. Going two and zero this week. I promise it. All right. Well, we will keep track of that and reevaluate that on Tuesday. I think we're going to record the next episode on Tuesday, so you will hear from us then about betting locks. We'll hopefully make it a um, 
a priority to talk about that, I guess, at the beginning of the episode, just maybe maybe promote our uh, our betting lock segment more because, yeah, it's uh, hopefully more people will stay for it in the future if we do that. So that'll be our plan on Tuesday. So with that being said, thank you guys for listening at as always. Um, hope you hope you enjoyed the episode. It was a nice variety of sports that we had today. We had uh, four different sports and it was um, I, I like talking about the transfer portal. That was very productive topic as well. I, f- I feel like our college f- football topics have just been outrageously good um, the past few weeks here, but yes, hope you guys enjoyed it. We will catch you early on next week and hope you guys have a good weekend. See you then. <laughs>